uh, hold on to your uh, uh, belt strap, and uh, we're going to go on a ride. Uh, as you know what we're doing, we're in, in Galatians, and I can't get out of this. Uh, you know I like to go camping, and, and sitting at the fire, you meditate, and you just kind of ponder, and like, like Mary did when, when she heard about the birth of Jesus, she, she was so caught up, and she wandered pondered those things in her heart. Well, that's what the Bible does for me. I, I uh, wake up in the morning and uh, the alarm clock went off and Sandy came and said at seven o'clock, she said, are you getting up? I said, I, I'm, uh, yeah, I'm getting up, but I've, I don't get up before uh, I pray. And before, before my eyelids are even open, I'm already in prayer talking to the Lord. And I'm just telling you, there's some things that are exciting because... When you're camping and meditating on the Word of God, things God speaks and and clarifies and gives you some understanding like David would talk about. Well, today, uh, we won't go till midnight, but I'm trying to get through this as much as we can. Uh, You're you're in for some excitement. We are at the pinnacle of the book of Galatians. Uh, We have gone through chapters 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5, and uh, we've been in 5 for about a month uh, right now. But we're looking at these things uh, to understand not just what the text says, but to say what we don't understand about the text. And so we're camping here to understand better how to walk with Christ and know him. So the title is Oppositional Love. This is going to be part two, where last week we looked at the passages. And let me read this passage that we're going to concentrate again. It's Galatians 5, beginning with 16. And we're not going to go into the uh, descriptions. That will come next week. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. And that's Paul's turning point as he's trying to get the Galatians to understand you don't go back to this law, this ritual, this old-time religion that is empty, ineffective, and unloving. And Paul says, I was excellent at those things until I met Christ, and Christ said, quit kicking against me. Because the law will not give you the ability to love the Lord. And so we're in the middle of this this opposition. So Paul is trying to correct this church. And interesting, Galatians is not a personalized uh, letter to any individual. There aren't names mentioned, so he's conceptually trying to teach and and help people get some theology that's biblically rooted in the kingdom of God thinking. And so as we go into this study, our focus last week was to understand the categories of flesh and spirit. And I won't go over those things except to say that when you read that word flesh, you're going to read it from a Western American mindset, and you're going to misunderstand what that means. I guarantee you. Added on to the difficulty of the translation, the way several translations and paraphrases call it a natural man, a sinful nature, that has nothing to do with what Paul is talking about here. 
because he's talking about a condition where men are either separate from Christ and are in the flesh, that they have no influence whatsoever of the Holy Spirit, no desires, no meaning, no value. The treasure is here, but they don't care. The flesh is going to be independent through and through, dead in any affection regarding the things of Christ. That's a category contrasted with the spirit, which we'll talk about today. The second thing today is uh, what we want to look at is know how the Holy Spirit works through the gospel to, re- to restore our desires to love, to live, to engage redemptively. And that's a pot of coffee in and of itself. But we're going to consider what that freedom that Paul is talking about. And that's what we've been doing uh, as we think through uh, the gospel because what the theme of this book is getting your heart set free. Not just the American idea of freedom, I can do what I want, but the idea that you're free to personally move into a fallen world to reflect the grace of Christ and to show that something's happened to you that you don't think naturally, you think supernaturally. And so as we get into these concepts about the Holy Spirit, I'm very much aware of the fact that there's so much historical uh, confusion in the preferences and the priorities and the manifestations and the expressions that if you're not confused, uh, you should be, <laughs> because it's not easy to figure this out. Anybody here got it figured out? Raise your hand, stand up, just shake your head so I can hear the rocks. Uh, uh, this is a difficult, complex, deeply rich, and therefore uh, there's a difficulty in preaching on this topic. And I'm, I'm excited and, and not struggling, because I'm trying to keep it focused, but. You know me, this, I will try to listen to where God's going, but the difficulty for me comes in this, this way. That besides the confusion uh, that's just conceptual, these are, these are some practical matters. Last week I was with some pastors who were telling me about a Baptist church who bought a Walmart. An old Walmart that they transformed into a Baptist church. And so... Uh, the baptisms take place in the lingerie aisle, used to, and uh, it's called the savings place. So, but anyway, they're trying, they've got this huge facility, and, uh, and because of the COVID, they're going down, and now they're having to worry about finances. Well, another church in town, uh, not a Baptist church, uh, but an interdenominational church said, you know, this is silly. We've got these two facilities, and this is a big facility. Why don't we just kind of merge and we'll join them? And so the Baptists thought, well, it'd be great to have an extra source of income because they've got some needs. And so they were in negotiation for a while, and uh, it was uh, an evangelical church. It was a, a biblical church in many ways, but as they got together and they talked, uh, one was a bit more... How do I say this? Uh, Respectfully, they wanted to focus on the spirit in a way that uh, was was just different. I'll put it that way. But they went through three or four months negotiation, thinking about what that would mean, what the transition would mean. And then finally, somebody asked the question. 
simple question. If we don't speak in tongues, will we get to heaven? And this group said, you have to speak in tongues to show that you are genuinely Christian and then you'll get into heaven. At that point, everything broke down because the definition of what it means to be a Christian for this group was you have to have this blank, fill in the blank, whatever the blank is, but it's difficult when you come to these Western filters of what you expect to have happen. So that's part of my difficulty too in trying to help balance out and give you a biblical perspective. I, I, I also am learning, because I'm not the expert on this, and therefore I know that it's easy to give you a message that's informational, but that's not what I'm interested in. You're not here just to occupy 20, 30 minutes to listen to me and then go home and forget everything I said. You want to know Christ. You want to be changed in a way that what you believe is not just a conceptual cognitive experience. It's like you want to love the Lord. You want to love him genuinely. You want to love him fully. You want to love him sincerely. And you have trouble with that because we have sinned against Christ and we've separated. And therefore, as fallen people, there are some parts of our heart that struggle with loving period. And therefore, the call for us is to understand he wants to change us from the inside out, which we all want. But the third thing is I'm, I'm very much aware that there are good days. I know that God is, is, is right ahead of me, and I could, I could hear him. I could follow him. I, uh, last Friday, I went to another garage sale. And, and you know, these are opportunities. I don't go to garage sales to go to garage sales. But there are opportunities to hear people and say, Lord, if you want me to be here, I'm here. So I'm a vessel, use me. Uh, at the garage sale, and then there was a, uh, my brother, uh, Wayne, who's quadriplegic, you know. Uh, I went to visit him last week, and uh, his caretaker said uh, that she had gotten into another argument with her father. And her father was a Christian, they're a Christian family, and what had happened was they were at the table and they were talking about politics again. And this time, there was a fight that broke out, father and daughter, uh, and I'm not gonna tell you which is which, but the point is, one was pro the status quo, and the other was no, no status quo. And they got into a real fight where the father said, well, if that's the way you feel about it, you must not be Christian. And when you have politics come in and shaping the evaluation and judging, and it was so bad that, that they didn't talk to each other for a week. And as they went through, the brother stopped and said, Dad, don't you realize? You're losing your daughter over a man that you don't even know. He doesn't know your name. You're losing your family. And that's the same thing when conflict comes in. Mark this, when there's conflict, you're either in the flesh or the, going to respond in the spirit. And that's difficult because 
when you have patterns that happen to you have and certain things haven't changed, and they were both Christians, but they were still struggling with that. Last is, this is such a broad material, like that cave. You can go deep and deep and deep into this, and that's what we're going to do a little bit to understand what it means to be set free. Paul was called the apostle of the heart, set free. And so I ask you, is your heart free? And if it's not, think about what is it that's blocking you from really being free? And what does that mean? Well, we looked at that last week when we said that because of the Messiah, and again, this is a quick review, the Messiah comes in to introduce a whole new way of thinking, of living and being, because when we pray the Lord's Prayer, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, when we die, we're going to go up there. Wait a minute, that's not the way that goes. He says, when we accept Jesus, we're going to be uh, saved and life is over there. Not that way. He says, we pray, uh, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done here on earth right now in Chesterland, in this moment, in this hour, that the kingdom of God has broken into our age and he's rescued us to give us the spirit of freedom from the flesh, you know this, and that we're, our job is to mature in learning how to walk in the Spirit. That's what they were doing in Galatia 2,000 years ago. That's what we're doing today. And so, in summary, in the book of Galatians, there are two groups. Those who are Judaizers and say, you've got to keep the law, and those who said, no, it's going to be by grace and faith, and that the Spirit of God is going to do something. But there are two gospel groups then there are two identities, two communities, two ways of living. Now let me ask to build on that. Are there two desires? Are there two desires? The desire of the flesh, the desire of the spirit? Well, it's easy to follow that thinking, but the point is this. He contrasts not the desires. He contrasts the direction that you move to get those desires met. And therefore, Paul and Jesus talk about two masters. And it's not the master of the war on the inside, it's the master of Satan, the world, the flesh. Something is going to dictate and direct how you think and live, or it's gonna be Jesus. And we know there's only one Lord. And so the idea of following this Lord and following the Spirit means, we talked about this, that there's this world of the sarks, the world of the flesh, no spirit, and it is dead spiritually. It doesn't want to be a part of this. And there's the spirit part that Paul says, you've got to get this, and don't go back to that. There is a true spirit, a false spirit. There's a spirit that comes from above that's peaceable, joyful, full of life. And then there's the spirit that's from below. And we mentioned it again, if you understand that if you have this fleshly thinking, there is a fist, there is a fist in your heart and in my heart that says, I want to do it my way. The flesh, the flesh says, it's about me. I am in control. And that was the problem with Adam and Eve. When Adam and Eve... Uh, said that what mattered most 
was taking things into their own hand. And then uh, that decision, uh, the, spirit, the serpent took advantage and said, okay, I can give you an opportunity. And they took it. This flesh, this flesh means that the flesh will set its desire against the spirit. It's oppositional. And the same is true. The passage says that the, the flesh sets its desires against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. For those things are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things that you please. Now, interestingly, as you break this down, if you go into the Greek, I just wanted to show you this a little bit because it's not about the desire. There are not two desires. It's only one desire. But the focus is not the desire. It's the flesh and what the flesh, where you're going to follow one or the other spirit and what the spirit does with this desire. And therefore, you're going to follow one or the other for your desires. And those directions will definitely take you into a path. Now, the word here for the flesh sets, sets its desire is a verb where we get the word hedonism. And it means if you have this desire for pleasure, the hedonist is going to make pleasure the Lord of all. The appetites of the belly. I want to do what I want to do. I want to feel good about what I want to feel. And therefore the guy goes into counseling and said, counselor, I want to feel good quick. What's your solution? He says, well, I don't know, get the five cooperative women and a case of your favorite liquor and go to the Bahamas and sit on the beach. He says, are you Christian? He says, yes, why? He says, well, your answer doesn't sound very Christian. He says, the problem isn't the answer. The problem is in your question. If you want to feel good, don't try Jesus. And yet, the New Testament grew up in a Greek pleasure-seeking world where, where you see this guy, Aristippus of Cyrene, where Barnabas was from, uh, was a student of Socrates. He said, the highest thing you can get is to feel good. Have it your way. Just do it. It's, it's about feeling good. How can, it, how can it be wrong if it feels so right? You've heard that phrase. This idea of the flesh wants its desires met is talked about other places in the Bible. In Galatians, again, he says, do you desire to be enslaved all over again? You want to go back? Into the, is that what you want to do? And it, Luke says, well, uh, that seed that fell besides the thorns, uh, it stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked out by worries. I'm not going to get what I want. Riches, I've got resources to do what I want. And pleasures, and they do not mature. The flesh will take pleasure and it will choke your growth in Christ. Paul would say in Titus, uh, again, uh, at one time we who were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasure, New American Standard, all kinds of, all kinds, it's not going to get intrigued and titillation and stimulation, but it's not going to lead you uh, to Christ. And then we lived in it in malice and envy and being hated and hating one another. That's the flesh. Peter would use the same phrase. They will be paid back with harm 
for the harm they have done. When you start mixing the spirit and the flesh, when you know that people are made to be loved and things are made to be used, and when you start loving things, you start using people and there's damage. And, Paul, and Peter would say, uh, there's damage. And there are blots and blemishes reveling in their pleasures while they feast with you. This is typical in the New Testament. As you go into the desires of the flesh, you realize Jesus had to deal with this all the time. What does the flesh want? I want to be in control. I want to be in control. I want to determine how things go. Remember Peter on the Mount of Transfiguration? The Spirit of God was there and, and, and Peter uh, and the disciples, Jesus said, who do you say that I am? And, and, and Peter answered by the enlightenment of the Holy Spirit, you are the Christ, the Son of the living one. And Jesus said, flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you. This is not a human discovery. The Spirit opened his eyes just like the Old Testament, the Spirit would open the prophet's eyes. But in the Old Testament, when there was a need to have the Spirit open up and do a miracle or prophecy or whatever, he would come and he would leave. Likewise, here, the same thing would happen. Peter would say, you are the Christ. And at the same time, at the same time, Peter wasn't changed spiritually because he, Jesus said, okay, well, if you get this far, then you know the Son of Man is going to be crucified in Jerusalem when we go down there. And Peter said, no, no, no. That's not going to happen. Not on my watch. I'm going to take over. And the rebuke, get behind me, Satan. So Peter was still influenced by Satan, and Jesus prayed for him. He always did. I pray for you that you would not be sifted. But here's this idea. I want control. I will tell Jesus what to do. I will tell people what to do. I will control what you do because I want control. That's the flesh. Jesus would say again to the rich young ruler who grew up in a religious home. He says, uh, Jesus, what do I have to do because I'm in control of what I do? He says, well, go sell everything and give to the poor. And the rich guy says, I don't want to give that up. I don't, uh, and in this chapter, and in this story, Jesus did not answer like he did to the Pharisees. He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. He did not say that to the rich young ruler. Because he knew the rich young ruler didn't love God with all his heart, soul, strength, and mind. But he also knew that the rich young ruler would be caught up with riches, that he wouldn't let go of the riches to give compassion to the poor. And Jesus knew that. He was going to call him to be one of the 12. He didn't follow. And when he turned and walked away, Jesus saw a man he loved, turned his back on him. Jesus was broken hearted. But I don't think that rich young ruler was. And therefore the flesh just wants to use God as God can come through. And Jesus said, life is not what you possess. Be careful. Be on guard. And then it, watch out. Because your life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Now, that happened over and over again. And so he turned to the disciples. He says, how hard it will be. Now listen up, church. 
how hard it will be if you focus on wealth, on your 401k, on your comfortable lifestyle. If you want security on this earth, it will be difficult for you to enter into the kingdom of heaven because your desire is, I want control. That's very fleshly according to the scriptures. And, and we know a lot of people follow Jesus, but they were not led by the Spirit. And Jesus knew their heart. These people draw near to me, but their heart is far away from me. Therefore, King Herod sought Jesus, Satan sought Jesus, Caiaphas. People will be in the presence of Jesus, setting its, their desires against the Spirit. But know this, that the Spirit will set his desires against the flesh. And therefore, round two. What does the Spirit desire for you, for me? Can you answer that question? Can you answer that question? Believer, answer the question. Think about what does the Holy Spirit want for you? If you can't answer that question, it means you haven't thought about it or stimulated, you know, but there's something that he wants to do in your heart so that your desires are set free to know what the Spirit wants for you. Well, let's look at this real quickly. Genesis passage, you know, Genesis 1. Then beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was moving on the surface of the waters, over the surface of the waters. He said, let there be light. And in that little passage, in that little passage, jack out of the box, what you have God saying is, I'm the creator. I created it all. I created everything that you see or don't see, concepts, capacities, complexities, because I love creating. What's more difficult, to create or to recreate? For Christ, they're both easy because he speaks to nothing. He speaks to the darkness. He speaks to the empty void. And out of it comes beauty. God knows how to deal with messes and to turn them, transform them. He wants to give, uh, he wants us to give that joy and he wants it to take shape and give us direction. But more than anything, he wants us to have the certain enlightenment of who he is and what he does. He then turned to Abraham and real quickly he promised Abraham, you see the skies I created? The promise I give to you, Abraham, is that your descendants will be blessed by me. And that blessing, Paul would say, would be in the form of the Holy Spirit. Galatians 4, 3. Likewise, he went to Nicodemus and says, unless you're born again, you won't see the kingdom of God inside you. You won't see it. And therefore, don't be, don't be surprised. But the Spirit of God it says, gives birth to the Spirit. This is what the Spirit does. He makes something inside of you come alive spiritually. Jesus would say it this way, that from within the heart of man, and he says the Spirit's resources, multiple resources, and he says the Spirit gives life. Christ wants you to have life in its fullness, but the flesh profits nothing. John 6, 63. Therefore, if you follow the teachings of Christ, he's saying this kingdom that's coming, 
is going to be a kingdom inside you. Don't worry about the externals. Worry about the internals. And when he comes, he will baptize you. And not just with water, but with the with this Holy Spirit and the fire. Well, you know this. We did it this morning. For Charlie, we baptized him in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And notice it doesn't say names. It doesn't say names. But it says that you are now mine. Go and make disciples, baptizing them. This is not an option for us as believers because if you're going to be baptized in the Spirit, you're going to be following the Spirit and the Great Commission, as J. Hudson Taylor would say, it's not an option. This is what we do. This is our identity. But did you get this phrase? In the King James it says, and lo, and lo, a shortened term for look. And look, he says, I, will, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. This idea of lo and go, look and go, lo and go is what I call And so it's a good way to remember that. And so the idea that when you go, you will receive power of the Holy Spirit to be a witness to those that you're walking through and around because you're looking at Christ and you're making disciples. And so the Acts we looked at, and these are, this is what the Spirit of God will do. Give you light, give you power, and then he will seal you. You were sealed with the Him, the Holy Spirit of promise, Three times Paul uses it there. But when the Spirit comes, understand, Christian, that you are free from the flesh. You have been set free from the law. You have been set free from the human expectation. You should do this. You ought to do this. You have to do this. It's set free from that external motivation and pressure to the internal Freedom, instead of I have to, to I want to. The Spirit changes duty into devotion. That's the mark that he does. And therefore, when you find people like that, he says, I'm with you to the end of the age. You're in a community, not just individually. And many people have this silo mindset. It's me and Jesus, me and Jesus, me and Jesus. That's the Western mindset. If you're thinking that way, you're missing the whole picture that the whole group of the Gentiles, the whole group of the believing church, all of us, are following in that spirit. So it says, all of you walk in the spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. In the kingdom of God, the family of believers are taught to think how God's people being regenerated by the spirit can together redemptively live out a new humanity. The old has passed away, behold the new has come. I just want to focus on one thing. How does he work to get those desires changed? He wants us to be free. Changes from the inside out. He knows he wants, we know he wants us to be free, to have the light, to have the love. And he knows that the, the relationship with Christ is important. So again, Christian, what drives the heart of God? What drives the heart of the believer? Those two are connected through the Holy Spirit. 
And then <clears throat> you understand that it's your desires that God uses to draw you to himself. Your desires are what the Spirit directs. And so if you walk in him, you will get the desires that he wants for you as he's writing a story in your life. Let me just conclude with this one. This is the main thing. The promise that the Holy Spirit gives you is that Christ wants your presence. Christ enjoys you. Christ loves you, delights in you. The Holy Spirit pours out the love of God in you. And first and foremost, before anything else, it's not what God does for you, <clears throat> what God is for you in Christ. And therefore, we have the presence of Christ, the very presence that Mary enjoyed, Peter enjoyed, Paul enjoyed, the disciples enjoyed, Barnabas enjoyed. Everybody through the Acts, there's an enjoyment of the Holy Spirit. Two, he's a companion that will never leave you to the end of the age. No matter what you go through, no matter if you're under stress or under cancer or under joy or celebration, Christ is at your right hand. Listen to St. Pat. Christ be with me. Christ within me. Christ beside me. Christ before me. Christ beside me. Um, behind me. Christ to win me. Christ to comfort and restore me. Christ beneath me. Christ above me. Christ in quiet and in danger. Christ in hearts and of all that love me. Christ in the mouth of friend and stranger. The presence of Christ, the presence of the Holy Spirit, to mature in those things is the very thing that the flesh wants to keep you away from. It's going to set its desires so that you don't know Christ. And the Spirit of God is going to set his desires so that you do. So that what that means is this. If I'm going to follow the Christ... I have to be led by the Spirit, which means I have to be close to the Spirit. I have to hear His voice. I have to learn what it means to say no to the flesh and yes to Christ. And so, <clears throat> in summary, here's a simple little sentence, a Jerryism, Rick. Give the apple back. No. That's not me. I'm not going to serve this serpent. I'm not going to serve this flesh. You can have it back. My desire has now been shifted. I want what he wants for me. He's everything that I want. And if that's true, we say then with David, oh, how I love thy law. It's my meditation all the day. And he would go on to say, I have set the Lord continually before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Well, instead of giving in to the dark side of desires, you give in to enjoy life of the kingdom spirit that sets you free. To enjoy life, you were built for that. Of the risen Lord. We were built for that. That's what you were made for. Let's, uh, let me stop here and 
we'll, we'll, we'll start with the last song, but as we do so, listen to these words because I invite you to think about the presence of Christ as he's moving you from here into his very presence.